0: The title of my message this morning is Living in Peace. We sang about the storms, the storms of life, the storms around us. You know, we're never promised in the Word of God that those storms are going to disappear until Jesus comes back and we reign with Him, right? It's just not going to happen. And He doesn't say that He's going to remove us from the storms, but He's protect us in the storms. And we're to keep our eyes on Him in the storm. It's, Every time I think of peace in the midst of storms, I always think of that story in the Bible where the disciples are in the boat and they're scared to death. They're all going to die. And Jesus, it says, depending on your translation, it says he has a pillow and he's sound asleep in the back of the boat in the midst of the storm. And that's the kind of peace that we should have in the midst of the storms of life. There are storms. And there is a peace for us that holds. How many of you ever heard, and I I can remember my mother saying something like this so often. I I have four siblings, so there was five of us. And some of you with a number of kids can relate probably that all five of us were born in like seven years. So it was kind of crazy at our house, my poor mother. And I can remember so often, oh, what I'd give for just a moment's peace. Anybody ever say anything like that? Everybody hear your mother say anything like that? Oh, what I'd give for just a moment's peace. I think she would often add, and quiet. But that peace. So when we think that or say that, what are we really asking for? It depends, obviously, on the situation, on the circumstances that we're in. It just could be called for a moment of peace, a piece of calm in this environment that we're in. Piece of calm. Or maybe it is that quiet. And all the noise that's going on around us, whether it's in our homes or in our workplace or in the world today, I just need some peace. Maybe it's a rest from all the stress of the responsibilities that each one of us have in our different jobs and workplace, all the things that are going on. Oh, if we could just have some peace. So much better. Maybe it truly is a respite, a a peace in the calm of what's going on around us in the world that we're watching, hearing about, looking at, listening to, all of the conflict, all the confusion, all of that chaos that's surrounding us. Are you living in peace? Is the profession of our faith in Jesus Christ holding us in that place of peace? It really is a test. Do we really believe what we say we believe? Is our Lord Jesus Christ really our Lord? Are what he has done for us and the promises he's made true and real? Do we believe them? There is a test out there taking place. Peace. You know, the word peace, depending on who did the counting, it occurs approximately 429 times in the King James Bible. Shalom in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, you'll see it a couple of, almost 300 times. And when it's used, it it can mean so many different types of peace. It could mean peace between people, you and me. It could be peace between the nations. At that time in the Old Testament, there were wars all the time, kind of like today. It could mean inner peace. That you or I as individuals have an inner peace. Our soul is at rest within us. It could have meant a peace that removes all conflict. Or it also is used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. A different word in the New Testament. Erene. It means peace. But there's also a false peace. We see in the Old Testament that word shalom For peace was used by false prophets. You know, they were declaring, hey, everything's okay. Shalom, peace. Well, they're lying. They're not speaking the word of the Lord. There's no peace there and there's no peace coming. In the New Testament, we see the word Ebene used by the Antichrist. Peace. There's going to be peace. So there's a false peace. And I think so often in our world today, so many people even if they would tell you they're they're at peace, it's a false peace. It's not the peace that will stand the storms of life. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. I want to read one definition now at the beginning of the message. and And hopefully as we go through my message this morning, we affirm this definition. And this is a definition as it would apply to Christians, Christianity being at peace. And here's what it says. It is the tranquil state of mind state of our soul, assured of its salvation through Jesus Christ, and therefore fearing nothing from God, and we are content with our earthly situation, our earthly lot, no matter what it is. Read that again. It's a tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, Therefore, we have nothing to fear from God, and we are content in whatever our earthly lot is, no matter whatever it is. Look at that definition and, and all the pieces of it. Are we at peace as Christians? Shalom. The scripture I used this morning, the primary scripture we're going to be looking at, is found in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace, I leave with you. This is Jesus, of course. He's speaking, and we'll look at the exact context in a little while. But he says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. This isn't just any ordinary peace. This isn't just a calming of the circumstances. He says, I'm going to give you my peace. And I do not give it as the world gives. In other words, it's not going to be peace like the world tries to give or we try to produce in our own strength as part of this world. He says, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives, and do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. I want to look at the first, or about the third phrase in that verse first. Not as the world gives you. The world is looking for peace. They're looking for hope. They're looking for joy. They're looking for something. Because everything around us seems like it's in chaos and conflict. Especially these days. All the turmoil that's out there. What is the world trying to offer up for peace? How do we, if we step out of our Christianity for a moment, and think in our natural mind, hopefully we don't do that very often. So we're not very good at it. We're going to try that. How does the world, what does the world do? What does the world say to try to achieve peace? God's saying through Jesus here, he's going to give us peace, but not like the world gives us. Some of these things may sound familiar to you. Because we need to realize, and I, this, I don't think this is an exaggeration. One of the primary issues, one of the primary problems of life is fear and Anxiety. Fear and anxiety, fear and worry. I think we can assume that because of what Jesus told his disciples. I'm going to give you my peace because you're going to need it. Not like the world gives. So what does the world do? Well, I'm going to give you a few things and these phrases you may or may not heard. They may not relate to you. I hope you see yourselves in none of these. I happen to see myself in a few of these at different times. You ever heard anybody say they just got a, they, their heads in the sand, they're not paying any attention. We just start to ignore everything. We don't want any information. We put our head in the sand and hope everything goes away. If we can't see it, it's not there. So what do we do? We turn off our TV. We turn off social media. We don't listen to the radio. We're very careful who we talk to. We just put our head in the sand. We don't want any information. Now, i got to add, there's probably some real pertinent benefits to those things I just mentioned. But they're not going to give us lasting peace. We can't put our head in the sand and think everything's not there anymore. All the problems are gone just because I'm not paying in attention. Sometimes I, we, we hear this, and again, there is a certain aspect of truth in this, but I'm going to just think of something else. I'm going to just think of something good and something pleasant. I'm going to think about my last vacation or my next vacation. I'm just going to think about something pleasant. I'm going to block out all that stuff. Now, the Bible does tell us to take every thought captive, so there's truth to that. It does tell us to think on these things, things that are holy and righteous and pure. So there's some truth in that. But you know what? We're doing that in our flesh. It is not going to bring lasting peace. I'm going to even know you, 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 your mind goes somewhere else in a hurry. And all of a sudden, it's gone, if there was any to begin with. Wishful thinking. Oh, it's going to get better. This too shall pass. You know, church, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the Bible tells us it's going to get worse before it ever gets better. Until Jesus comes back, the Bible makes it clear things are going to happen. There is going to be difficulty. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be persecution. Evil is going to be present and manifest itself. Wishful thinking isn't going to change any of that. I wish this would all just go away. I wish this political stuff would just get off the TV. Well, good luck with that. I wish we could get rid of these masks and get past this COVID thing. Yeah, me too. But guess what? It's still there. And if it's not that, it'll be the next thing. And the next thing, and the next thing. Wishful thinking. We take it a step further. Counseling. If I just go get some counseling and somebody tells me the right words and I discover the right thing, I'll be all better. Peace will be there and I'll never have to have any worry and anxiety ever again. Meditation. If we could just meditate. Again, there's nothing wrong with counseling, there's nothing wrong with meditation depending on how it is what kind of meditation there's nothing wrong with these things but it's going to be so temporal peace when you used to be able to walk through stores and look around you could find this music peaceful relaxing music if i just get the right music if i just burn the right incense it'll be so peaceful in my room if i just put the right oil on my body it'll be so peaceful It's the oil of peace. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with all these things, but if you think it's going to give you lasting peace, you're crazy. It's not going to work. It might soothe the symptoms for a while, and I'm not saying that's bad. But it's not going to give you real peace. If I just could get out of this job I'm in, or if I could just move away from this neighbor that lives next door to me, If I could just get rid of this old car that I worry about every time I get in it, if it'll get me to my destination, if I just, if I just, if I just, then I'll have peace. Sorry, you won't. Not for very long. The world cannot provide the peace that we need to live in peace in the storms of life. It's not going to work. It won't happen. Some of us are a little bit more machos than some of these other things. We just put on that strong front, this isn't going to bother me. Right. You're a liar. If it wasn't going to bother you, you wouldn't have mentioned that it's not going to bother you. And even if you can force it away in your own strength for a little while, it's going to come back pretty quick. There will be no peace. And all of a sudden, worry and anxiety comes in and our faith slowly seeps away. Another really sad escape from the world is drugs and alcohol. Yes, there may be a momentary peace because we get so stoned we can't think about what's going on around us. But it's not going to bring you peace for very long, matter of fact. You're sober up, you probably have less peace than you had before you started. And sadly, probably the most tragic escape of all that I've mentioned probably all hear the statistics that are going up, not only in America, but around the world. Fear and anxiety, the suicide hotlines, if the number of calls is increasing exponentially in all ages. The lie of the enemy is, just end it all and you'll finally be at peace and rest. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Fear, anxiety, all of these things around us, all of these things, the world cannot provide peace. At the very, very most, it can give a temporary relief. You know, we can mask the systems and some of those things I mentioned, we'll mask them. And sometimes it's even a pleasurable masking for a short time, but it's a very short time. The world cannot provide it in any way, shape, or form. So let's go back to John chapter 14, verse 27 again. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. It's interesting. It's like when he says, peace, I leave you, it's like he's giving us something to take care of. And then it's like, oh, no, no, that's way more than that. I'm giving you peace. No, it's even way more than that. I'm going to give you my peace. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's saying the same thing to you and me. As his disciples, I'm giving you my Peace. What kind of peace was that? Jesus was at peace. You ever look anywhere in Scripture other than those moments in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's kneeling at a rock and sweating bloods of tears, sweating drops of blood, and that wasn't, alas, a lack of peace. But he was always at peace. The storm is blowing, he's at peace, he's sleeping. He gets out of the boat and here comes a demoniac that the chains can't hold and the people are afraid of him and Jesus just looks at him and he's at peace. Judas betrays him. In the garden, they come to arrest him. He's at peace. Peter, put your sword away. Let me heal this guy's ear and let's go. He's falsely charged. He's standing before the powers that would be. And they say, aren't you going to say something? He's just at peace. They nail him to a cross and hang him on that cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing that's the peace of Jesus. And he says, that's the peace he's giving you and me. Do we have it? Does our life reflect that we have it? The peace of Jesus. His peace. Let's get the context so we can understand even better maybe what's going on here. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. If we go back just to chapter 2, we, begin, we see that he's arrived from his long trek from Capernaum to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and have a peaceful supper. He marches into Jerusalem with what we call the triumphal entry where the people are cheering and yelling and screaming. Uh, If I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, all right, about time. This has been hard following this guy for three years. Now we're finally seeing the fruit. They're worshiping him. They're cheering for him. He's going to be the king. Then he starts speaking with them and tells them, you know what, go find this room. We're going to have the Passover meal. We call it the Last Supper. And now things get a little strange. Jesus washes their feet. That shouldn't be happening. Matter of fact, Peter didn't even like that. And they finish the meal, and then Jesus starts teaching them. And what he does here is he starts to tell them, to prepare them for what's coming. Because what's coming is unexpected. It's going to be troubling. They're not going to understand. It's going to challenge them to their very core. And Jesus starts teaching them. And he starts to say to them things like One of you is going to betray me. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? certainly wouldn't be me. Lord, I'd die for you. Oh, Peter, he predicts Peter's denial. You're going to deny me three times. The disciples got to be getting just a little bit confused already. He's telling them that he's going to be leaving them. He's going to leave them. They've given up everything to follow him. For the last three years, everything. They've given it all up to follow Jesus. And he's telling them now that he's going to leave them. And if they understood it, he told them he's going to be nailed to a cross, basically what he said. He told them, I'm going. And he knew what was happening. He knew why he was telling them this. Jesus obviously knows everything, but he told them. He's telling these things because, and then he encourages them, because he can see what's happening. Can you imagine if you're one of the disciples sitting there listening to this, and all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, this isn't going the way we thought it would go. This isn't going the way we want it to go. Jesus recognizes them. In chapter 14, starting at verse 1, he gives them an encouragement that's amazing. It's an encouragement I read at a lot of funerals, actually. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Why would he say that? Because they knew their hearts were starting to be troubled. Let it not be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. He's trying to encourage them because their hearts are becoming troubled. They weren't going to understand. They weren't understanding and there was more to come that they wouldn't understand. And then he starts to encourage them more by telling them about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus was declared way back in the Old Testament to be the Prince of Peace, and he's going to provide peace. And he's also going to send the Holy Spirit, who part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. They're not understanding all of this. And Jesus knew that they under- weren't understanding at all. Chapter 15, he goes on and talks about some relationships, relationships they would have with one another. You're going to love one another. Then he goes on and talks about the relationship of the world and says, hey, they're going to hate you if I wasn't a little disturbed by then, I, I was now. Matter of fact, it says, when they kill you, they're going to think they're doing it to serve God. Wait a minute, they're going to kill us? These aren't the things I want to hear, God. Some of us might have to die for Jesus. He's preparing them. He's warning them. He's telling them beforehand what's going to happen. Chapter 16, he goes on and he says, you know what? This is not going to go well for you in the church guys. You know, this Jewish religion, going to the synagogue, it's been a big deal most of our lives, but you know what? It's going to change now because you're going to worship me. You're going to be excommunicated from your churches. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. And some of you are going to die. we are going to kill some of you. He was telling him all these things because Jesus knew that change was coming. And change oftentimes brings worry and fear when we don't know what's coming, the unexpected, it can steal our peace. It can steal our joy. Jesus tells them a second time about the Holy Spirit encouraging them because He understood what was going on in their hearts. I want to read three scriptures to you. I believe there's a slide. In John chapter 16, verse 6, He says, because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. They were troubled. Verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, but it's way more than you can endure. I know you can't handle anymore. And then he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he, tell you, he will tell you what is yet to come. He's going to tell you what's coming in preparation. You know, knowing what's coming makes a difference in our spirit and in our soul. You know, if if you tell me what's coming and what the consequences of that are going to be, I'm not near as worried about what's coming. We are living in a time right now in this nation and really around the world where there is uncertainty everywhere. There is such uncertainty. We are in a political thing that I don't even know how to describe. We've got violence in major cities around the United States that just seems like it's waiting for a reason to explode again and again and again. And we are facing a virus that there's been so much confusion about. I don't know what to believe about anything, really. Uncertainty from every direction. How am I supposed to live in peace with all that going on? The disciples were facing change probably way more dramatic than what we're facing. And Jesus understood the challenge it is to stay at peace. So he's telling them beforehand what's coming, and the Holy Spirit's going to come and tell you even more. But go back to chapter 14, where he says, I'm going to leave my peace, and I'm going to give it to you. You can have the peace of God. Hard times were coming, and Jesus wanted them to be prepared. There's a principle, I think, at work there that we need to understand that our reaction is different or should be when we know what's coming. He knows, Jesus knows that uncertainty brings this kind of anxiety. And church, for us, seriously, do we not know how this ends? Do we not know we win because He's already won? Do we think that Jesus doesn't know what's going on in the earth today? He could create the universe, but he can't take care of me. What are we thinking as a church? I understand the world thinking that way because they don't know Jesus. But the church should be different. We could look at this as a test of our profession of our faith with what's going on in the world today. The reason the world can't solve the problem, is it has to start with Jesus. He literally said, I'm going to give you my peace. What was the source of his peace and all of his experiences when he walked the earth? He was in total communion with the Father. Total communion with the Father. Without communion with the Father, without intimacy with the Father, we can never have Peace. How did we get that? How can we have that? Jesus provided it. His peace he gives to us because he went to the cross and died for us. He went and died for our sins. There can be no real lasting peace unless you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the bottom line. That's the first line. It should be the only line. You can't have real peace without Christ. We have to be in right relationship with God the Father. The only way that happens is through the Son, Jesus, through His death, burial, and resurrection, through our receiving the gift of salvation, acknowledging that He died in my place for my sins. He took the penalty that I'll never have to take. And because of that, I can have a peace, no matter what happens. A peace that the world doesn't understand, right? How can you be so at ease. How can you be so relaxed? How can you be at peace? Look what's going on. Get your head out of the sand or out of the clouds. Well, you know, for us in Philippians 4-7, what does it say? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That peace that comes from Christ and only from Him. There is an inner peace also that the Bible talks about. What is an inner peace? What does that mean? How can I have inner peace? Again, you can't really have it unless you have peace with God the Father. An inner peace. You know, most all of us, and I would say all of us, have those things. Sometimes we have heard through them as the demons in our life. But there's a battle that rages within us sometimes. And that battle may involve guilt or shame or condemnation, fear, rejection, whatever it is. And man, we can try to just keep them stuffed down, but eventually somebody pushes the wrong buttons and they come rushing to the surface and any peace that we had is gone because that inner battle is still raging. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. When we surrender all that inner garbage, there are lies now for a Christian. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. I am loved unconditionally by Christ. I'm safely in His hands, in His arms. I don't have to fear. I am not ever going to be rejected by Him. He'll never leave me, forsake me, ever, ever. We need to surrender all those things to Jesus. He's already provided that peace for us. It's a peace that comes from Him. It's His peace. And we can have that inner peace. Same thing with the peace with fellow men. You know, there are some people that are just, you know, they're just that, right? They're just hard to be around. They do some nasty things. How am we supposed to be at peace? There's only one way we can be at peace with our fellow man, truly at peace, is to be at peace with the Father and have the love of Jesus in our hearts and let that love go through us, to even our enemies. That's who we, we, we need to love people. That doesn't mean we're a doormat. Or we, they don't, we don't let people walk all over us. We have boundaries. We have all that stuff. But we can be at peace with them because we love them like Christ first loved us. He loved you and me, gave us the grace before we were ever cleaned up, as if we're cleaned up, loving our brothers, sisters, and those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And lastly, peace with the world. Oh boy, how do we have peace with the world? You may have figured this out by now, but you can't have it unless you have the first one. Peace with God. Peace with the Father. We cannot be at peace in the world because there's always going to be troubles in the world. You know how I know that? The Bible says so. If you look with me at John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, hey guys, this is still all part of that last teaching he's giving to the disciples in the night that he's going to be betrayed. And he says, guys, I'm telling you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I win. And because He wins, we win. Take heart. I've overcome the world. It looks bad. It it brings bad feelings. It gives opportunities to lose your peace. But I, I win. I've overcome the world. So no matter what's going on in the world around us, we can live in peace. And actually, we then demonstrate what the whole world wants. And we can tell them where our peace comes from. The peace of God passes all understanding. So the only way to have it is peace with Father first through Jesus that He can give us His peace. Our inner peace comes from Jesus when we submit and surrender everything to Him. Our peace with our brothers and sisters and even our enemies comes as the love of Christ flows through us and we can have peace in the world because He's won. He's overcome the world. He's telling us that in advance. But at the very end of that verse, it appears obvious that we have a duty. I want to throw that verse up there again if you can. in John 14, 27. Oh, you're so on the ball. It tells us all this good stuff, and then it says, do not. In other words, you have a responsibility here. I have a responsibility. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna leave my peace with you. I'm gonna actually give you my peace. But, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Obviously that would tell us that it's possible to let our hearts be troubled. And to become fearful. We need to guard our hearts. We need to take every thought captive. We need to know the Word. We need to be in the Word. We need to remind ourselves of who God is. It's one of the reasons praise is so important, worship is so important, as we sang those songs this morning, that's the God, that's who He is, that's the truth. It's biblical, it's solid, it's not going to change. We know who He is. But first got to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's anybody here, and you don't have peace, and you don't have that initial peace with God the Father because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what you need to do first. You're listening online in your homes, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's where we start because there's no peace for the Father otherwise. Sin separates us, it puts us at enmity against the Father. We're considered enemies, even though He loves us. We need to accept the gift of salvation that's offered. For Jesus, taking the penalty for our sin. And then we can have peace. We trust Him. We've got to trust Him fully. It's great to pray the prayer, surrender our life to Him. But would you surrender your life to somebody you don't trust? If we truly surrender our life to somebody, He is worthy of our trust. And we need to put our trust in Him fully no matter what's going on in the world. No matter who's in political office. No matter what this disease does next, no matter what violence comes, whatever the next storm that's building on the horizon is, we don't need to worry about it. Doesn't I mean we're not careful. Doesn't mean we don't pay attention. But we know the outcome is in God's hands. He's in control. We need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It's so interesting and in his teaching that he was giving the disciples how much time. Go ahead and read chapters 14, 15, 16. Of the Gospel of John, and how much teaching there is on this Holy Spirit, who really we need to remind ourselves would be a new concept, pretty much to the disciples. You know, how can conf- you're going to be with us, but you're leaving? This Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? He's going to lead us into all truth. Who is he? I mean, they would not have all. He's teaching them because the Holy Spirit was critical to maintaining peace as He is in us. He is in us. He will teach us all truth. We find our peace in that truth. I want to share a couple of scriptures, and actually a third one I don't think I have on the slide. In Romans 8, verse 6, the mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. As we listen to the Holy Spirit, we will find peace. He's the Spirit. Peace. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 26, three, you will keep in perfect peace. Oh, wouldn't you love perfect peace? He will keep in perfect peace that person. He will keep you and me in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you keeping our mind on the Lord, trusting in Him. And the scripture also that I added late was Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule your heart, to which indeed you were called. You were called to let peace rule your heart in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule your heart to which you were called and be thankful for his peace, continually giving thanks. The peace of God is really a central claim of the gospel. You may not think of it that way, but it is. Central portion, it's a critical aspect, it's an important aspect because if you think about it, it's putting us back in right relationship with God the Father. We can live in peace in the midst of the storms of life. I ask a few questions for all of us and watching online. Is your view of life at the present time standing the test of our current circumstances? Politics, the violence, the economic problems, COVID-19. Is it passing the test? Are you enjoying peace in your heart and in your mind in the days we're living in? Are you untroubled today? The world watches us Christians. And just think of this again, as i said many times already this morning, consider it a test. Are we talking a good game or are we living the reality of what Jesus has promised us? The world's watching. Are we enjoying the peace Jesus has given us in these current circumstances? Just as Jesus did for the disciples he's done for us, only we have a more complete story. We have a story that the disciples never heard. We have the rest of the New Testament that they didn't have. We know the end. We win. God's will. God's will will be done. Amen? His will will be done. Let's pray together. Father, I just am so amazed by Your promises for us. How little we sometimes understand about what took place at the cross of Calvary. Some of the benefits that we are even unaware of, that we underestimate. God, that you have given us the peace of Jesus to rule in our hearts. His peace. Father, I pray that you would continue to reveal to us those areas that we have not laid down before you. Those areas where we may be doubting you and not trusting in you. That we would be quick to confess it, that we may be able to restore... Just intimacy with you that's not hindered in any way. That we may live in peace in the storms of life. That the peace that we live in is a demonstration of Jesus to the world. That we can let them know it's not our peace, it's His. Share the hope that they can have in Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.